Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sydney and Melbourne at same set for lockdown extensions. Authorities in Victoria are concerned about the virus spread, especially after scenes like this at some venues. While in Sydney, there are new rules on who can and can't work now in place and big changes to public transport this morning, Nat. More close contacts and COVID exposure sites have been identified overnight. New South Wales has 105 new cases. 76 are from southwest Sydney. 27 were infectious in the community. And a woman in her 90s from southeast Sydney has become the latest COVID victim. This graph shows the number of new daily cases in New South Wales over the past 10 days. The Premier says we won't see the data shift for at least five days. New public health orders came into force overnight. Every employer across New South Wales must require workers to work from home unless it is impossible. All construction must be paused unless it is to ensure the safety and security of the site. And all non-urgent residential maintenance work, including cleaning and repairs, must be paused. Victoria has 17 new cases and at least 230 exposure sites. Health authorities are most concerned about transmission at sporting events, including the Wallabies game at Amy Park on Tuesday. There are three positive cases and multiple GWS and Swans players who attended that game. They're now isolating. There's the Crafty Squire pub in the city where an infectious man watched the Euro final amongst a packed crowd last Monday. And there's one new case in the town of Mildura linked to the Carlton Geelong game at the MCG. In Queensland, authorities are resisting a hard border closure with New South Wales despite Sydney's outbreak reaching Chindera, just 16 kilometres from the border. Here's Koshy. Let's go live to our team of reporters, Samantha Brett. You're at the testing clinic in Fairfield. We're seeing long lines there already this morning. It's a great response from the community. It really is a great response, Koshi. Good morning. We've been here now for several hours and I can tell you that there have been hundreds of people that have arrived here at the Fairfield Showground for testing this morning. In fact, right now the line snakes all the way around the block. So certainly plenty of people doing the right thing. 
but there is some confusion this morning for people waking up in the three LGAs in southwest Sydney because on Saturday the New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian said that those people need to stay at home today, that they can't go to work unless they're healthcare workers. Well, she backtracked on Sunday, so this morning there are now new rules. There are plenty of exemptions for people living in these three LGAs. They can go to work if you work uh, in retail, not just in a supermarket, but industrial and commercial retail workers as well, emergency service workers, of course. Key government staff, MPs and their staffers can go to work, teachers, agriculture, manufacturing workers, truck drivers, transport workers, uh, but not taxi or Uber drivers and those who maintain critical utilities. Now, yesterday we saw 105 new cases in the community and there are 30 new venues on high alert. Also, buses and trains are on alert as well in this area. So now there are limited buses and trains for the next two weeks. People are really being urged not to catch public transport. Also overnight, we saw two New South Wales police workers uh, test positive to COVID. One of them is a New South Wales police officer. So certainly the next two weeks are critical for everyone across Sydney and New South Wales. Koshi. Nathan Curry, you're outside the Crafty Squire pub in Melbourne CBD. An announcement on whether the lockdown will be ex extended is expected today. Yeah, we are, Koshi, and unfortunately it's, it's not good news for Victorians. We really do need to accept that we're not going to be getting out of lockdown tomorrow night. That's because they're, they're really concerned about uh, potential sporting super spreader events, particularly uh, the one here that may have taken place uh, this time last week. It was listed as an exposure site on Saturday night, so yesterday was the first chance that English fans that attended the Crafty Sky would have had uh, to go and get tested. Hopefully they did that, so when we do hear from the authorities a little later today we will get an idea of if there has been a transmission here the positive case that did attend uh, attend here he caught COVID at the MCG and then was also at that Wallabies game that Nat mentioned so that's why they're so concerned and that's why we're probably going to be going into lockdown longer than Tuesday authorities are still discussing how long it will go for there's reports this morning that it could be at least until Friday Koshi. Christy Cooper, you're at the testing clinic in Bacchus Marsh near Melbourne. How have schools there been impacted by the outbreak? Koshi, so far 11 Victorian schools have been caught up in this outbreak in one way or another, including Bacchus Marsh Grammar nearby. There, their outbreak has grown to nine people, including seven teachers and two students. Trinity Grammar Boys School is also of concern in Kew. Their outbreak grew by three yesterday to seven now, including teachers and students. It's believed all seven were infectious while at school before they developed symptoms, so authorities are expecting that cluster to grow too. Some students Students from that school also mingled with a number of girls' schools nearby, including MLC and Wrighton. Primary schools have also been caught up in this, so thousands of Victorian students, teachers, families are all in isolation today and needing to get tested. Now, at this testing site at the back of Smash train station, there were huge queues yesterday. There was about a kilometre long queue by this time yesterday morning. It doesn't open until 8 o'clock, but so far there's only three, three cars waiting to get tested. So if you are near back of Smash and need somewhere to go, this is not a bad spot, Koshi. Yeah, good advice. Bianca Stone in Brisbane. A woman has made an emotional plea to Queensland health officials. 
Koshi, good morning. 26-year-old Maddie Newton is grieving and she's frustrated. She is a fully vaccinated nurse who works in Victoria. She's desperately trying to get home to Queensland after her father was killed in a crash near Mackay on Friday. Her teenage brother was also left seriously injured. Now, she applied for an exemption on Saturday, just hours after Queensland's border closed to Victoria. That was knocked back. An appeal has also been dismissed. Her only option is to spend two weeks in hotel quarantine at her own expense. She does have Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt in her corner. He has urged compassion. He's also hoping a review into these types of cases will lead to a national standard for granting these types of exemptions. Koshi? Tamara Bow, you're at Chindra near the New South Wales-Queensland border. A track stop has been put on high alert there. Yeah, Koshi, the Tweedshire where we are this morning has now been labelled an orange zone by the Queensland government, showing just how dangerously close that virus has crept to the border. It's now affecting border residents. New South Wales Health confirming that positive cases did attend this Ampole service station in Chindra, which is just a 15-minute drive across the border. They used the toilets, showers, a truck lounge, as well as the food court on July 13, between the hours of 8.30pm and 7.30am the following morning which means that anyone else who is here during those exposure times must now isolate for 14 days, especially if they want to cross the border back into Queensland. Koshi, at this stage, the Queensland-New South Wales border does remain open, but a very nervous wait ahead for close to 100,000 border residents now living in an orange zone just one step away mm. from being locked out of Queensland. Seven News political reporter Taylor Aitken is in Canberra. And Taylor, Australia is getting a major boost to the vaccine rollout. Yes, very much so, Koshi, with around a million doses of the Pfizer vaccine landing in Australia last night, with the government hoping today marking a serious turning point in our vaccine rollout. An additional three million doses will also arrive earlier than expected after Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Health Minister Greg Hunt successfully lobbied Pfizer to up their delivery numbers. Meanwhile, controversial British commentator Katie Hopkins has had her visa cancelled after she bragged about breaching hotel quarantine rules. Her actions drawing widespread criticism and anger from the government and opposition MPs who have slammed her behaviour as despicable. The police officer who checked me in told me when they knock on my door, I have to... <laughs> I have to wait 30 seconds till I can open the door. So I've been lying in wait around the corner in my bathroom. She doesn't come across as a great asset for our nation uh, visiting us. But more importantly, people just can't come in and flout our laws. They might agree with them or they may not agree with them, but they're our laws and you don't flout them. And if you do flout them, then you, as I said, you just pack up your bags and get out, go. She was rumoured to be in Australia to take part in a reality series, but so far the Seven Network have confirmed that she is not participating in Big Brother VIP and have condemned her irresponsible and reckless comments in hotel quarantine. She will be put on a flight back to the UK as early as today. Yep, yeah, good riddance. All right, thank you, Taylor. Now, Australia's vaccine supplies received a long-awaited boost with one million new Pfizer doses arriving in the country last night. Going forward, that will be 
the average number of doses delivered per week, which is well up on the current number of around 300,000. The majority of vaccines, though, still won't arrive until the end of the year. Joining me now, Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews. Uh, Minister, where will these new doses be going? Is there a priority to send them to Sydney and Melbourne, given their current situations? Well, effectively, they'll be distributed based on the population. So of the almost one million doses that came in last night, about 800,000 went into Sydney, 100,000 went into Melbourne, 100,000 went into Perth. Now, the Sydney doses will be uh, also distributed around the country. So it is on a population basis. So I would encourage those people that haven't already registered online to jump online today and uh, okay. and book their doses in. So why are you still sticking? to that population uh, formula mm. rather than where the largest need is. Yeah. Uh, look, that's a, that's obviously one of the issues that we've had to grapple with as well. And there's opportunities that we may be able to tweak that a little bit. We know that there are some priority areas uh, in Australia, but we do have reasonable levels of vaccines available. We have the Pfizer vaccine. We have the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine that's uh, available. So uh, okay. the advice that we have is that uh, we are able to support our major cities, but also our regional areas as well. So are you saying the vaccines are all available, plenty there, but not enough people are getting them? I'm not saying that there's plenty there because we know that we're in the uh, process of ramping up our supplies. So almost a million doses of Pfizer right. came in uh, last night. So we are increasing that. And if you, if you want to uh, look at another figure, in August it was anticipated that there would be 2.8 million doses. It's now expected there will be 4.5 million. Um, so it is a significant okay. Uh, ramp up. OK, because uh, the public's lost faith in you managing this, haven't they? Uh, that's reflected in the latest news poll published in The Australian this morning. Federal government has dropped to its lowest polling position this year with a four-point shift in the two-party preferred vote, 53 to 47, in favour of, uh, of Labor. Meanwhile, Scott Morrison has had a two-point dip but remains 18 points ahead of the opposition leader as preferred Prime Minister. Is this a reflection of the public saying, you've got to get your act together, you've got to do it better? Well, I think that what the Australian people are saying is that they're looking for the light at the end of the tunnel here. So they'll be prepared to go through what needs to happen to get to that point. I understand how people in Australia are feeling at the moment. And yes, there's been a lot of um, media about the, the vaccine rollout. But I think what people can do now is look positively towards the, the future, that the vaccines are coming into the country, they are being produced here. Mm. And there is that light at the end of the, the tunnel. Now, has it gone perfectly? No one's saying that um, that it's gone perfectly at all. But we are in a strong position. We do right. have the contracts. We did have the contracts with Pfizer. And we're also manufacturing AstraZeneca here. I mean, that's a pretty significant achievement. Yeah, you've so, sort of undermined its brand, though. Um, hey, just quickly, um, controversial right-wing British commentator, Katie Hopkins, I'd never heard of her, uh, has had her visa cancelled after boasting about breaking hotel quarantine laws. Um, mm. What led to that decision? 
Well, can I also say I hadn't heard of her before and I don't want to hear about her um, ever again. Mm. Uh, Basically, what she did was um, breach quarantine. She was out there boasting about what she'd um, done. It was an absolute slap in the face to people in Australia who've done some pretty hard yards. So uh, the Australian Border Force uh, went in there, acted as quickly as we possibly could to to make sure that that visa was cancelled and she will be on her way out of the country very, very soon. Yep. Good work on that. Good riddance. Minister, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Take care. Here's Nat. Yep, here, here. For more on Australia's vaccine rollout, I'm joined by the head of the National COVID Vaccine Task Force, Lieutenant General John Fruin. Good morning to you. We are now getting a million doses of Pfizer every week. How quickly will they get into people's arms? Nat, as quickly as we can. We've had two really great pieces of news in the last few days. Uh, Over the weekend, we've hit the 10 million doses have been administered in Australia, Mark. Um, And then this news about a million doses a week, uh, at least out until the end of August. So we'll be moving as fast as we can to to get them into people's arms. Okay, so let's talk numbers. Way back when, we talked about that group of 1As, the quarantine workers, border force, frontline workers, healthcare, aged care, uh, and they were all supposed to be done months ago. Uh, Are any of them left to vaccinate? Yeah, absolutely. Look, this is still about prioritising our most vulnerable. Uh, That's our over 70s, our people in aged care. Uh, But we're we're working really hard now on a couple of key priority areas. Of course, frontline health workers will always be uh, critical to us. But aged care workers now is one area that we're really uh, expecting to, to focus on over the next couple of weeks and months. So what percentage of aged care workers do we still need to vaccinate in this country? Yeah, we're up to, we're over 40% of first dose and uh, over 20% now of second dose. So we've still got a way to go, but we're, uh, we're working really hard to encourage all of those aged care workers to get to vaccination now. Uh, they're being given priority, uh, they're being given access to Pfizer, so um, we're hoping to see some good numbers there soon. You must be pretty disappointed because it's July. Was it because we just didn't have enough? Look, initially uh, it was about the most vulnerable and that's the, they were the aged care residents. So there's really uh, good coverage in aged care residents now. They're up over 80% fully vaccinated now, but uh, the workers are uh, the next priority in that sector. So that's who we're encouraging now to get vaccinated as quickly as they can. Okay, a million a week from this week of Pfizer's arriving in the country. So that is good news. Lieutenant General, thanks for your time. Thanks, Nat. Here's Koshi. Now, two employees in the New South Wales Police Force have tested positive to COVID-19 after the state recorded another day of cases in triple digits. An officer from the State Crime Command and a civilian employee are both isolating at home while health authorities trace close contacts. The concerning development also comes after hundreds of rule breakers were fined over the weekend for disobeying the health directives. We're now joined by New South Wales Police Minister David Elliott. Uh, Minister, first up, um, can you tell us about the two police employees who have tested positive for COVID? Well, just simply that they have tested um, positive, which is very unfortunate for uh, uh, for the police force. We've got to make sure that uh, we comply with all the rules and protocols that every other employee um, has to uh, follow, and uh, uh, and that will be done over the course of the next day or two while we make sure that those that have been in contact with the positive cases are identified, isolated and tested.
Okay. Now, Sydney's tougher new restrictions mean non-essential retail stores are now closed. Construction projects have been put on pause. Uh, residents in Sydney Southwest can't leave their local area until the end of the month. How difficult is it to enforce restrictions that keep changing so much? Is this, is this the problem? You weren't clear enough early enough because you even changed from Saturday morning to yesterday. Well, that's right, um, David. I mean, uh, the, the great challenge of public health orders uh, during a pandemic is the fact that we have to be extremely nimble, uh, and the police force mm. has been that. Nimble they've made sure slow. that uh, uh, they've used their discretion. Nimble, Sorry. Or, nimble or have you just been slow? For example, you know, um, I, I hark back to the Northern Beaches lockdown. That was quick, it was clear, it was tough from the start. Everyone knew where they stood. And in southwestern Sydney, they just keep changing all the time. No one knows what day it is out there in terms of restrictions. Well, that's right. And that's why the police force just listens out for the health orders that are issued by the chief medical officer and the health minister. And we have to um, ensure that uh, we enforce them. I mean, uh, they're not health orders that the New South yeah. Wales police want. Uh, they're health orders that are given to us by um, uh, by those uh, those medical experts. So and we make sure that uh, we use as much discretion. Are you blaming well, the, health the health experts? Orders are written by because the health orders are written... Yeah. Now, the health order is written by the chief medical officer and signed off by the health minister. The police are the ones who obviously have to enforce oh. them. And now, um, that, that has been a very, very difficult time for the New South Wales police. We certainly saw breaches yesterday, if not in the, in the law, but certainly the spirit of the law in Bondi. Yeah. And I, I've been speaking to the police commission over the last 24 hours to make sure that uh, yeah. uh, we enforce them in that part of town. But I must say that uh, uh, the southwest of Sydney area has been very, very compliant and we're extremely happy great. with them. The breach overnight that just... The, the breach overnight that disturbed me was up in South uh, Sea Hampton, up in, near Lake Macquarie, where eight people were found in a in an individual for a religious ceremony in an individual's house for a religious ceremony. Now oh. we just can't have people pushing the envelope, no. envelope like that because it's those it's those personal gatherings that are, are making the uh, the virus spread. See, I feel really sorry for the police and also communities like South West Sydney because that list of exemptions that we saw just a minute ago just changed in the last 24 hours. After Saturday morning, yep. everyone was said, hey, you can only move out, you can only work if you're a healthline worker or work for emergency services. Then 24 hours later, all these exemptions come out. Well, thank you, David, for highlighting the fact that policing in the current climate is a very, very challenging job. Yeah. And we receive these health orders. We we comply. We obviously have to make sure that they're complied mm. with and we have to reinforce them. Yeah. Now, the challenge for the New South Wales Police is to make sure they use the discretion that they've got available yeah. because we don't like issuing them. We don't like forcing people to pay $1,000 fines. And in the case of uh, yeah. the removalists over the weekend, they may find themselves before a court with a custodial yeah. sentence. Nobody wants to see that because we want to get back to normal as quickly as possible. Minister, really appreciate your time. We're hearing your frustrations as well. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
Now, millions of residents across Sydney are waking up to more restrictions this morning and changed ones as authorities struggle to contain the city's growing COVID outbreak. Effective today, the construction sector right across Greater Sydney is shut for two weeks, which is set to cost the economy an estimated $1.4 billion. Huge dollars, aren't they? Residents in Sydney's southwest say they're being pushed to breaking point. Some households are down one and in some cases two incomes. Many say they're feeling anxious, overwhelmed and confused at this ongoing situation. Joining us now from southwest Sydney are builder Joseph Kozak, mother of two, Jade Searank, and business owner Charlie Ibrahim. Morning to you all. Joe. let's start with you. So just about the entire construction industry has come to a grinding halt. How busy would you normally be at this time of year? Well, this time of year is usually the lead up for the coming months. Um, we've got several projects on the go throughout Greater Sydney, um, which have come to an absolute halt. Um, the pipeline fill is dried up completely. Um, so we're usually, we've been going at non-stop, nearly seven days a week pace up until about a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, do you reckon the government has taken the right approach here? Or should it have been handled differently? Because construction went all the way through the lockdown this time last year, didn't it, with no problems at all? Absolutely. Um, in, in the way that the government's handled it, we can't be too critical at the same time because we should put ourselves in their shoes and try to work out, well, how would we handle it ourselves? So um, is it... The, the problem is that this, this virus isn't so much doesn't know boundaries, doesn't know occupations, doesn't know ethnicity. Um, um, the fact that they've made the decision to do what they've done, well, the ramifications are going to be huge. Um, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, I'm not privy to the data yep. that they have to have made that call. Mm. Yep, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, it, interesting. Um, Jade, you're a mum, both you and your husband are now without work. Your husband um, is in construction, I understand, and, and you're trying to homeschool one child and look after another. How, how hard is this for you, mentally and financially? Um, all around it's quite hard. Um, the homeschooling itself is uh, a situation in itself, you know, just trying to get them to concentrate and focus on work um, at home is, is quite tough. Um, and also the uncertainty of you know, not having an income and, you know, with all the restrictions and rules that are coming in every day, um, you know, it's more uncertainty for both of us, you know, going back to work and, you know, what's on the horizon. Yeah, Chad, within your family and friends, your network there, what, what are you finding is the biggest concern of everyone? Um, I think it's um, just the restrictions and, you know, not knowing what to do sort of a thing. It's quite confusing. Um, you know, each day there's something new or, you know, there's something else that we, you know, need to look out for. But it, it's definitely financial support um, for families, I think, would be the main thing. Um, in this lockdown. Yeah. yeah, and not knowing the end, that's so true, isn't it? Now, now to Charlie, have you been able to keep your factory running? Uh, obviously, we have, we have been running, we have been able to run, but however, like we have, we, have, we have exhausted all the resources for the last 18 months, and especially, especially that the manufacturers related to the construction industry uh, have been suffering from 18 months wearing the extra cost. Like example, 
company like us, we do 10 to 15 containers a week and we have been paying the extra charges up to three times the real cost of shipping and uh, sure. clearance. And this extra cost, we're not, we cannot, we're not able to pass it to, the, to our client because in our industry, the project that we are on today is something that we, are, we tendered in 2019 and early 2020. I do really have uh, a genuine concern about uh, small businesses and small manufacturers, how they're going to pass this uh, and how they're going to recover. Yeah. I don't think some of them will recover. And... Uh, God, God knows, God knows how these uh, how these guys they will survive. Yeah, and Charlie, a lot of people depend on companies like you for a living. You you have two hundred full time staff, about the same number of contractors. As a boss, how does it affect you knowing you can't offer consistent work right now to your staff? Look, uh, honestly, for the last twenty years in business, I never told one staff member or one subcontractor to go home because we don't have work. Uh, it's, it was always the opposite, you know, and uh, I was angry and I'm still angry and frustrated because I was forced to tell these guys uh, to go home and I was forced to be in a situation, in a conflict situation where, where I don't know uh, how to deal with it. Like, uh, I have to, I, I have to look after, I have to look my, for my on personal interests, my business interests, yeah. uh, the well-being of my uh, employees and my subcontractors, uh, putting the construction industry on pause uh, doesn't mean we're going to have our overhead disappearing and uh, our schedule mm -hmm. and our commitment uh, the, uh, disappearing. Uh, let me tell you, from my opinion, it was a careless decision, and I don't know. I don't know how. Uh, yeah how the manufacturing industry is going to continue from there. Yeah. Mm. Mate, we wish you well. Companies like yours are like big families and oh, yeah. uh, you all try and look out for each yes. other. Yes. All the very best. Thank you very yes. much, all of you, for sharing your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, one million Pfizer vaccines have arrived in Australia overnight in a long-awaited boost in supplies. 800,000 of the doses have been allocated for Sydney. Around 100,000 will head to Perth, another 100,000 to Melbourne. In May and June, Australia was receiving about 300,000 doses of Pfizer a week. The federal government plans to increase that supply to a million a week from today. For more, we're joined by infectious diseases expert Professor Peter Collignon. Uh, Peter, New South Wales government is prioritising people in southwestern Sydney for these extra vaccines. Is that the right move? Well, I think where you've got any outbreaks, um, there is a bigger advantage in those people receiving a vaccine. But you've got to remember, whatever vaccine you get, it still takes 10 days to two weeks to have an, any effect because that's how long it takes to get your white cells to turn on and antibodies to be made. So, yes, send it to the places that actually have um, more infection. But equally, this can t um, go anywhere in Australia. So we do need to make sure there's a reasonably even distribution around Australia as well because Sydney has got a problem now, but... You you know, it could be Brisbane in a couple of weeks' time mm. or Perth or wherever. So we do need to make sure there's a relatively even distribution because we've got this problem for the next few months at least because it's winter and we need to actually get as many people vaccinated as we can but throughout Australia. Yeah, we had uh, the main man, uh, the Lieutenant General Fruin, uh, speaking this morning about the rollout and he said under 50%, as we understand it, of frontline workers in Australia have been fully vaccinated. So... 
How do you decide whether you just send these vaccines to hotspots or to those frontline workers? Well, I think you need to do both, but who the priority should still be for vaccination are those at most at risk of getting infection, and that includes frontline workers. So if there's any, well, whatever healthcare workers are still not fully vaccinated or vaccinated at all, uh, aged care workers, uh, disability workers, etc., etc., all those in the 1A, 1B group that the Commonwealth had, they need to get vaccinated. And that includes the over 70-year-olds, the 20, 30% who haven't been vaccinated yet. All those people need to get vaccinated. They need to, um, if they're over 70 or over 60, get the AstraZeneca vaccine through your local doctor or now through yeah. pharmacies. If you're under that age, uh, you, we need a way to get them to the front of the queue. What we don't want is the most at-risk people being in the same queue as everyone else. So we need a mechanism, while there's a shortage of supply, that those who need to be at the front of a queue, even if they've delayed it and they shouldn't have, to get to the front of a queue yeah. so they get vaccinated today or tomorrow. Um, Peter, when the Major General was telling this to Nat, I was stunned how few frontline workers are fully vaccinated and how few aged care workers are vaccinated. Are you frustrated by that? I just naturally thought, oh, they must all be done by now. Well, I've been surprised by the low numbers. I mean, I'm a healthcare worker working in a hospital and I was vaccinated last March and April. Yeah. And so there really has been a lot of opportunity for people in that 1A and 1B groups to get vaccinated. I mean, I think there are always reservations about new vaccines. Both the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca work very effectively, including against new strains like the Delta strain. If you've had two shots, you, your chance of getting into hospital is less than 90% reduced and dying is probably 95, 98% reduced. You, you look at England everywhere. If you're vaccinated, you're, you don't see many deaths in the vaccinated people. So we need to get the people in those highest groups vaccinated as soon as possible. I mean, we're still fortunate that the consequences this winter will be much less than last winter for the people to get it because we do at least have, you know, 90% of residents in aged care fully vaccinated. But there's an awful lot of people who aren't vaccinated yet who should be, particularly the over 70-year-olds and particularly any frontline worker, be they associated with quarantine, healthcare, disability, etc. It's not only for their protection, but it's to decrease the yep. risk that they'll give an infection to someone else. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Peter, appreciate your time. Always good to chat. Thank you. Yeah, now is not the time to wait. You no. can't say I'm waiting <laughs> anymore. It is a race. Yeah.